Hey, have y'all ever heard of girls raised in the South? It's called grits. Okay, so some of y'all are grits, some of you girls. Yeah, girls raised in the South. But she is a gits. She's a girl in the South. Some of y'all are gits. I thought that was cool, you know. You know, obviously, Melissa's not from here. But she has a beautiful voice, doesn't she? Much better than mine. But <clears throat> everybody good? Thank you, Lord, for the worship. That was awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that one song. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. Amen? Amen. That's something we really need to, to think about, I think, uh, is that God is a Trinity. Um, you know, God's three. God is three persons in one. Amen? Amen. We don't understand that, uh, how he can do that, obviously. Nobody does. People who claim they do are not telling the truth. And none of the analogies that people use are very good to try to describe that. I came to a conclusion a long time ago, the Trinity is not a problem to be solved. It is something to enjoy and to be part of because God has invited us all to be part of his family. Amen? Well, I think that's good. I'm a little bit nervous this morning for some reason. Y'all are making me nervous. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and start before I get in a lot of trouble. Becky's not in here. I'm sorry y'all are in trouble. <laughs> hey, I'm going to read. Uh, we're going to be talking about the church at Thyatira. I said that right. A few people let me know last Sunday about my message, about my terrible pronunciation. Um, but I've, about paragamas. I've let them know that there's actually three different pronunciations, uh, and maybe four. Mine's the fourth one. <laughs> so, anyways, I do appreciate this, even though they're, you know, not at all that encouraging sometimes. <laughs> but I think I got Thyatira right. Amen. Let me tell you a little interesting fact about Thyatira. It's in uh, Revelations chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, uh, which happens to be the longest of the letters to the seven churches. Uh, Thyatira was uh, actually the smallest city, the smallest church, the most insignificant of the seven, but they got the most, uh, they got the, Jesus had the most to say to them. Isn't that interesting? So I want to encourage everybody who feels like you're the smallest and most insignificant you're in line for Jesus to do a lot of talking to you. Amen? Let me read this little, little thing here. This is interesting to me. Thyatira was a wealthy inland city in Asia Minor, meaning Turkey. It was well known for its trade deals, meaning unions, especially the Dyers, Dyers, D-Y-E-R-S, uh, trade guild. The city water combined with a red pigment from the roots of certain herbs and produced a brilliant red that was conducive to dyeing fabrics. They may die there. Lydia, how many people know who Lydia is in the Bible? Lydia in, chapter, in Acts 16, the first convert uh, in uh, Macedonia that Paul ministered to uh, was from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. I just thought that was pretty cool that she was from this place, and uh, you know that was really their main uh, product there that they really pushed, but... Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 
So you can have something now to remember Thyatira by, by Lydia, who was the first convert there. And go back and read Acts 16, the story. That's a really powerful chapter in, in the book of Acts of how she was saved and, and how the Lord really used uh, her to, uh, it doesn't say this, but it infers that the Lord really used her to spread the gospel all through that, that region. So powerful, isn't it? Well, the verse says to the angel uh, of the church at Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Uh, I wanted to make a comment about this to the angel of the church. Um, I think when I first started talking about this, I shared that a lot of different commentators have, nobody really knows who these angels are, obviously. Okay, but the, the kind of the popular thought out there is that they, it was a bishop or a pastor or an apostle. Okay, that's, that's kind of what you popularly get through. And I think a lot of us might kind of go along with that. I have come to the conclusion that is very incorrect. And this is why I come to that conclusion. I believe it literally was a real angel. You know, because if you really look at the book of, and I want to say this, if you look at the book of Revelation, it is a book that is full of angelic encounters. I mean, more than any other book in the New Testament. And the people of that time would have no, no, zero issues hearing that an angel had a message for them. Like we, as Westerners, sophisticated people. They would have, that would not be a problem for them to someone just come to them and say, hey, there's an angel that has come and has got a word for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And so I don't believe, I believe a lot of this stuff that we hear is stuff that's really not what was really going on. And we begin to believe things like that, which is really not healthy for us to believe. And so I've thought through this a lot and wrestled through this a lot because actually the very first verse in Revelation it says that an angel gave John this message. An angel did. And, and, and at least a dozen times in the Revelation, John, an angel spoke to John and kept telling him, write, John, write what you're seeing, write what you're hearing. And so the whole book, in fact, John at one point, let me tell you what I did one time. I tricked everybody. I wrote a letter to the church, okay, and I pretended I was a preacher that wanted to come speak at this church, okay? And I, and I wrote the letter from the perspective of John the Apostle in the book of Revelation. And I talked about some of, you know, I kind of put it in modern terms, but I did, was real honest. Oh, a couple of times I did fall down to worship this angel, Okay? Just so you'll know, because people will let you know that I, I made that terrible mistake in my life. And then I asked the church, should we invite this person to speak at our church? And everybody said, no. I said, you just told John the Apostle he had no right to speak in our church. That was dirty on me, wasn't it? <laughs> dirty dog. But it was trying to make a point to us, you know, that we don't think like these ancient people thought. We had a whole different paradigm of understanding and our mindsets and our theology and what we think we know gets in the way of really hearing the heart of God and how he wants, and how he wants to express his heart to us. Amen. Amen? So I just wanted to say that because I really feel a stirring that, you know, 
if we're going to really understand the book of, of Revelation, we really, it, we're going to, only going to understand it supernaturally. We can't really understand it with our minds because it is a, a supernatural book, as all the Bible is, but especially this book. Especially this book requires a shift in the way we approach it and a shift in the way we think it. Actually, uh, I'll go ahead and tell you this. I'm, I'm fascinated with all this kind of stuff for some reason. Is It is, you know... There was some debate that John, was it John the Apostle actually wrote the book? And the reason there was, has been debate about it is because the language that he used in the book of Revelation in terms of his, the Greek language that it was written in, the grammar, all that was completely different than the gospel of John or the three epistles that he wrote. It was completely different. It was very, very broken up, uh, disjointed at times. And so a lot of people believe there's another John that wrote it because John the Apostle was a brilliant person, obviously, and had a brilliant grasp of language and writing. Well, we don't believe that. We believe he wrote it. I think the point is this, is John was writing this book as he was getting this revelation. Okay, so imagine, imagine you're sitting in a college classroom and you have a professor that's telling you information, and you're writing as fast as you can. Many of you have done that. If you go back and look at your notes, they are not very grammatically correct, right? There's a lot of shortcuts, and there's a lot of things that you took to keep up with what was being said. And so I believe that really is what was happening with John, and that's the reason it, it comes across the way it does, because he was seeing and hearing things that he had never, he didn't have a great grid for. Are y'all following this? He was seeing like a red dragon with a woman. I mean, what? I mean, of course he was being the angels, and even Jesus himself at one point told him to write. He, he had to keep to being encouraged to keep going with it, because stunning things he was seeing, and of course he would stop writing in the middle of it. I'm just trying to, to put yourself into the middle of something that's beautiful, and. You know, the thought would be this. Well, why didn't he go back and clean it up, right? Clean it up, make it readable for everybody. Get, get an editor to look at. And this, and this is, I believe, the reason he doesn't. Because at the end of Revelation, it says, anyone who adds to this, takes away from the writings of this book, will be cursed. And I believe John, like, I've written what I've written. I'm not going to touch it. Don't you think something like that would happen? Well, it's a beautiful supernatural book. And, and I guess that's my, my whole point. And I believe we're just coming in at a time in our world that we need to be beautifully supernatural people. And that we really need to quit some of this mental gymnastics that's taken over the church. I really do believe we, we're going to have to stop that. Uh, I think there's a hunger in humanity's heart right now more than ever, to see something that we're not seeing. And that's the, the supernatural God that exists and that wants to reveal himself to humanity. And that's not beyond our, our mental capacity and beyond our mental understanding. And I think that God is trying to prepare a people. And I've really debated, debated in my heart a lot about this I believe that there's going to be a... I'm off this subject, y'all. Can, can y'all hang with me just a second? I believe with all my heart there's going to be a move of the Lord that's, that's coming our way. 
I, I really believe that. I, I believe it on a very personal promise level. And I believe it also for a promise level for our church. Um, and I've debated, Lord, how do we prepare for that? How do we get people prepared for that? Because we could talk about moves of God and, and tell everybody about it. But when it, when it happens, when God really literally shows up and manifests himself in a place, a wreck. It is a little, he wrecks everything. He wrecks our theology. He wrecks our orders. He wrecks it all. You know, because our order and our theology is not God's order and God's theology. And so many times we want God to move. We're asking him to move. Do, do, do. Lord, do this for me. And he's saying, if I did that, you would be so offended. You would walk out the door. You'd be so offended if I really came the way you really want me to. And so I don't really know how. I mean, it was popular years ago, and I really get this. Are y'all okay with me talking about this for a second? I'm sidelining. I'm going to get back to Thyatira. Years ago, it became popular. People preached messages, why I don't believe in revival. Why? And I was, so, I was so discouraged by that. But here's what, it was coming out of brokenness. It was coming out of hurt. It was coming out of disappointment. I remember as a young believer, we took family members to, at that time, one of the most famous Baptist churches there were in Charlotte. Okay? It was a huge Baptist church, and they wanted to go because they were Baptists and Let's go to this church. Like, okay, we'll go to the Baptist. I mean, you know. You know, I wasn't Baptist. I didn't really, it wasn't a deal to me. But yeah, we'll go. I've never really been to like a big mega church kind of. So we get in here and we, I'm looking at the bulletin. They have a list of the pastor's messages. And the, one of the first ones was, why I don't speak in tongues. I thought, they actually preach that in this church? I'm not coming to this church. But I think lots of times we, we come to places in our life because of bad experience, hurt, right? And I think that's where the church was a few years ago. And that's why a lot of people begin to reject the notion of revival. I personally do not reject the the concept of revival, period. And my heart's cry is, Lord, bring a revival, whatever that means and whatever that looks like. I just want you to do it. I want you to move, Lord, And here's something we need to have in our hearts, y'all. We need to say, Lord, I want you to move. And if absolutely necessary, you can use me. I know there's better people out there that you should use. But if you can't get them to cooperate, you can use me. Realizing if you say that to the Lord, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you to be a part of a move of God. Okay, I just want to say there's a cost that you, you, there's a dear cost, but here's the terrible thought. What about the cost of not? What about the cost of not? That's the, that's the real cost, that humanity continues to suffer. People continue to not be healed. People continue to live lukewarm lives. That's the cost. And so the little cost of rejection the little cost of feeling humiliated, the little cost of, of your friends put, you know, you being kind of pushed to the side because of the oddity of the thing that God's doing with you and the disorder of the thing God's doing with you or the jealousy, all the things that happen in moves of God. That is a very small price to pay. You know what I'm saying? It's a small price to say, 
to pay that you are known in the community as a bad holy rollers or you know what I'm saying? Who cares if God's healing and saving and delivering people and touching people's lives and changing people and is reaching out to the people out there in this world that are being abused and suffering? Who cares? And that's the thing, that's how we prepare for a move of the Lord. We begin to ask ourselves that question. Am I willing, Lord? Am I willing to, to pay my, that price? Am I willing for you to destroy my agenda for your agenda? Am I willing for you to destroy my order for your order? Those are questions we have to ask the Lord. And, you know, I've been trying to process all that. But I'm saying yes to the Lord. Okay. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you this one more thing. i got to stop this, y'all. <laughs> I'll tell you one more thing. I told the Lord, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm down the road in my ministry, y'all. I'm down the road. Like, I'm not 27 now. And you were the 27-year-old version of me. <laughs> In fact, I've listened to some old messages like, they should have kicked me out. <laughs> that dude was just too mean and regressive. <laughs> you know, aggressive, not regressive. I was just regressive, but, you know, people have, God has mercy on you. Um, what was I going to say? I was saying I was down the road, and I told the Lord, well, there's two more things I need to do at River Life for sure before I'm done here is one, i got to get this building paid off because I want the next man who steps in here and takes the leadership of this church, I want them in a good position. I want them to have what I didn't have, and I don't want them to have any kind of financial burden on them that they're not supposed to have. And so that's really important to me, and I think we're going to do it. I believe with the grace of God and the love of God and God just doing, moving on people's lives, but... That's important. That's natural, I think, but it's got a spiritual implication to it. The other thing is I'm supposed to be part of a move of God here. There's another move of God that's supposed to happen in this church, y'all. I'm telling you that now. I had a man, gosh, Lord, why am I doing this? Let me just stop. I had a guy that Joyce Kashi brought to me one day, I'll, you know, one afternoon who could not speak a word of English. Well, not one word, knew nothing. He was a prophet from India. And he sat there and started telling me, calling out people in this church's names, telling me about stuff about them. Called out our church's name, and of course, he, don't know that, he didn't know that. He can't read that sign out there. And one of the things he says, there's going to be another move of God in this church. The next move is coming. And I thought, well, I've had that from lots of people. I just sort of liked having it from a guy who didn't know zero. I mean, he just flew into town. And I really felt that was a real huge encouragement for me. But we've been like in a people in a waiting room for a few years now, I feel. Like we've been in a waiting room. And the way you wait is important to the Lord. Okay? The way you, if you get out of hand waiting in the waiting room, they're going to kick your hide out of there. You know? And so we need to behave ourselves in these times where the Lord's not moving. And be honorable to each other. Be honorable to the Lord. Treat people fairly and treat people nicely. Okay, and make people feel welcome and make people feel loved and cared for because they might not feel so welcome when the Holy Spirit starts moving. But at that point, that's between them and God. We need to do everything we can to make people feel embraced and secure. But if God is making them feel any other way, I'm just not getting in the middle of it. That's tough. That's between you and God. If you want to talk to me about it, I'll tell you, but I don't think I can help you. Here's what I can help you tell you to do. 
surrender and submit. If you'll do that, you'll feel the cure. Okay, y'all have messed me up. <laughs> no, I'm happy. I did want to say that. Mm. Yeah. The last thing I will tell you, and then I'm going to move on because I'm done used up most of this, but so I can jump through this message pretty good. But one of the things I've struggled with in my life, and I think many people struggle with it, is about doing ministry, right? I struggle with this big time. I mean, this has been the battle of my life. It's like there's a war I had to fight, you know? And I was thinking recently about how in the New Testament, how each book was written, okay? And they were all written pretty much the same way, except one of them. Okay, all were written because someone felt moved by the Lord to sit down and write what they knew. Matthew sat down and wrote the story. Mark sat down and wrote the story. Paul wrote the stories to these the different churches, Peter and so on. Because they felt moved by the Lord, they felt touched by the Lord, and they sat down and, and used their experience, used what they were, and were inspired by the Spirit to write it down. That's how all those books, except for one book, the book of Revelation. John was not planning on writing a book. He was told to write a book. This is your job, write. That's how this thing has worked. I was meditating on that, and I realized that God calls us to do things. Everybody in this room, you have a calling on your life to do something. And your job to the Lord is to simply say, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm available for you to use me. I'm available. Whether I feel like an idiot half the times or I don't feel like I'm good enough or I could tell you 10 were better than me that should be doing it. And what we had to do is let all of that go. See, I, don't, I know that's not impacting to you, but when the Spirit of God tells you that, like, Byron, I called you to do this. Someone said, this is what really provoked me. Someone said, Byron, I've listened to that last message eight times. And here's the thought, Lee. Why would anybody listen to any message I preached eight times? Much less once. That was a thought that came into my mind. And see, we all suffer with these things. But the Holy Spirit wants to say, if I've told you to do something, if I want to use your voice or your hands, I'm going to do it. Let me do it and stop fighting me over it. Amen. And we all need to have that heart. I'm sorry I spent that much time talking about all that wonderful stuff. Let me tell you this about this beautiful book here. So I'm, this thing is powerful. The book of Revelation will change your life if you can let it come to you the way it's supposed to come to you. It's been ruined. Eugene Peterson said they've ruined the book of Revelation by giving it, handing it over to the intellects, handing over dollars and let them explain it to us. He said it's for everybody. It's for the common man because it was written to common people. 80% of the churches, of, of, the, of the congregations in these seven churches were made up of slaves because that's how things worked back then. They were the common, low-level people. And here they are getting all this information given to them. But they could receive it. They could understand it because of the Spirit of the Lord that was operating in them. And so if we hand over everything to our great theologians, we're going to get a bunch of bull. They're going to twist the Scriptures. 
Now, I'm not against theology and scholars. I think they have their place. I'm just not going to give everything to them. I'm just not going to give it all away. I'm, I'm not going to give that place to them. They're here to help me in, when I get stuck. You know, they're here to help inform me, to help lead me in a direction and hear the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. Right. Okay. Here's the thing that Jesus said here that I think is important for us this morning. Uh, these things says the Son of God. Okay? Says the Son of God. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God. He, ne- he always, mostly said he was the Son of Man. But here he is saying, I'm the Son of God. In other words, he was saying, I'm equal, I'm in... You know, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in charge, that's what he was saying. He was, he was, see, he was coming to this church and letting them know, I'm not just the Son of Man, I'm the Son of God. And what I've got to say to you, you better listen and you better hear it. In other words, he was, not, he was coming to them, to them from a very authoritative position and place. Isn't that interesting? And then the next thing that says, <clears throat> his eyes were like blazing fire. His eyes were like blazing fire. That's pretty interesting. So here's the thing about the New Testament that'll help you is gospels, you know, you've heard the thing that Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Have anybody ever, y'all ever heard that, that saying? Prophet, priest, and king. True. That's what he is. The, the gospels tend to generally present Jesus as the prophet. That's, that's the general thing that they theme in the Gospels. The epistles' general theme is Jesus Christ, the high priest. Are y'all following this? So it's, what I'm saying is when you begin to read these, if you'll think about that, that's really what they're trying to get, get to you. That we have this high priest in heaven. Hebrews makes it real clear, but really all the epistles do. They're really aiming you towards to seeing him as, your, as, as the high priest and what he does for us. And how he operates. Isn't that beautiful? But the book of Revelation is the one book that really reveals Christ as King of Kings. Isn't that powerful? And so that's one reason it's such a very powerful book. Is that it reveals a part of Christ that the rest of the New Testament doesn't. It does. It gives us glimpses of it. It gives us hints of it. It never really, ever, really fully goes after it like the book of Revelation does. Because the book of Revelation clearly shows Christ as the king, as the king of kings. And in, in particular, in this verse, he is really, he is, he's saying himself, this is who I am, church at Thyatira. I'm the king. And the king has come here, and the king has a message for you. So what you see in the, specifically in this, is you do really see all three of those attributes of Christ in this one letter. You see and what he said, that he was the son of God, the king of kings, with eyes blazing like fire, is obviously the prophet. Are y'all following this? Are y'all, are y'all engaging in this? This is, this is great stuff if you begin to really receive this, really help you to really connect with the Lord. I wanted to take just a minute to talk about the eyes blazing like fire because I think that's a very beautiful picture of the Lord, but it's also a very disturbing picture of the Lord. I've had a few experiences with the Lord, me, and well, most of them, really every one of them have been disturbing to me, 
they've, they've exposed me in a way that was really hard to, you know, it's hard to be exposed, y'all, right? You know, it's very hard. I, I'm going to read this one verse here and just tell you this one little thing because I think it's so important. It's Hebrews 4, 13. It says, there's no creature hidden from his sight. That's those blazing eyes. Nothing is hidden from his sight. But all things are naked. All things are naked. And open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All things are naked. The most naked I have ever felt in my entire life is when I felt that Lord looking me in my eyes. Everything about me was known. That's a terrible feeling. One night I was on this airplane, you know, going somewhere. I can't remember where I was going, but it was one of those overnight flights. If you've ever been on one, you know, they're like kind of mill. Uh, and you're kind of trying to figure out how to get through that many hell you're in. You're just wishing it would be over. And so I kind of figured out some ways of sedating myself, you know, while I'm doing all that, just to keep me from going crazy. And one of them is just soaking and listening to Christian soak, you know, music that's soothing. And so I had this friend that I had known for years that was part of the church here, a very, really cool guy, just loved that guy, had a great relationship with him, had so many wonderful conversations with him, and he moved away. So I'm on this airplane flying down there, and I'm thinking about him while I'm sitting there soaking and enjoying the Lord, and this is what I said. I said, Lord, I'm going to give him a different name, just protect the innocent. Lord, I'm really so sorry that Jack left the church and moved away I really love Jack. And immediately, this is what the Holy Spirit to you. The moment I said I really love Jack, the moment that word was out of my mouth, here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. No, you did not love Jack. You loved what Jack did for you. I'm telling you, I felt completely exposed at that moment. That's the eyes of the Lord looking at I didn't know. I didn't know that's how I was. I didn't know that... I was loving this person because of what they did for me. I didn't really love them as a human being, you know. And that's just an example of me not being able to see something about myself that the Lord revealed to me. And so uh, I really got off that plane very humbled, you know, with my tail between my legs, so to speak. That's the way I felt. But I did get off that plane better than I got on it because that really began, that really began to shift something inside of me. At the time, I wasn't aware of it. And I'm thinking I might have mentioned it here recently because I began to think about it and was able to go back to that point, is loving, loving what you do is a beautiful thing. Loving the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. Right? Loving the church, loving the ministry. I loved all that, but God shifted something in me. From loving all of that to loving being, to loving people. Are, are y'all hear that? It's not that you don't love those other things, but if all you have in your life, what, whatever you're doing, love for that thing, even though that thing's a beautiful thing, wonderful, if that's all you have at the end, you're going you're gonna to come up a little short. Because, see, Jesus didn't, he died for us. He died for people because he loved people. The reason he loves the church is because we're here. We're part of it. 
If we took us out of the church, there wouldn't be nothing to love. Are y'all hearing this? And you see, that thing caused me to see something in me that wasn't good. It's called using people. We could put it that way. Using people for what they do for you, but never really caring about people. And I think that's something's wrong, when, and it, it was obviously wrong in me. Well, I'm just going to leave that with y'all. I know y'all love that. But I'll tell you this, his, uh, his penetrating gaze is not to hurt us. It's not to humiliate us. It's to heal us. It's to help us see something that's at work in us, that's hurting us and hurting everybody around us. That's why he comes with those blazing eyes, really to heal you. Those are truly eyes of love, but they're not the romantic type of love. They're the love that I need to fix something in you that's desperately hurting you and that's desperately going to hold you back in your life. Am I talking to anybody in this room besides me, as dumb as me, you know? Anyways, the other thing about this is pretty cool. Uh, It says he had feet of fine brass. Isn't that cool? Okay, so uh, many commentators, which I tend to agree with, this speaks of Jesus being our high priest. Okay? Uh, Listen to this. The word for fine brass is unique and only occurs in the book of Revelation in all of ancient Greek literature. It's the only place they use this word. It's like the like. This word was made up by John. He created a new Greek word to explain something. It is a compound of the Greek words for metals, such as brass and bronze, and listen to this, and the Greek term for frankincense. In other words, Jesus' feet were metal. They were heavy. And what a lot of people say is this, and I tend to think it's true. Because of the context of this, Jesus was coming to make a judgment. But Jesus is always slow because if you got metal feet, you ain't walking fast. And, isn't that cool? And that's the truth about the Lord, isn't it? That he's very long-suffering. He waits a long, long time before he does. It's like God said, I'm so sorry I created humanity back in the Old Testament and waited 400 years to do something about it. You know, the day you said, I'm so sorry I did this, I'm done with it. He waited 400 years before he made a step towards you. And so this frankincense, though, is about healing because frankincense was, a, was an ancient medicine. That even though when God does come and judges something, he also brings medicine with it. He brings healing with it. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful about the Lord? Even, isn't that beautiful about our King? It really should excite us, right? That God's to anger, full of compassion. That's what it's telling us. That's the kind of God we serve. He, he's slow to anger. He's full of compassion. He wants to heal. He doesn't want to hurt. He doesn't want to judge. But if he's forced into it, he will. When, he is, when he's forced into it, and, and this is a situation he was forced into, but let me read the next verse. Am I talking to anybody this morning? This is what he said. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now think about it, what he just said to these people. He was commending them. It is the only church that he commended for love. 
He commends, you people got love. You know, like for well, like the church at Ephesus, y'all ain't got no love going here. Y'all got a good lot of doctrine. Y'all know a bunch of stuff, but you ain't loving nobody. Here he's saying, you guys are amazing. That's what he was saying there. Y'all are amazing. Look what you've done. You're serving the poor. You're feeding the hungry. You're covering the naked. You are doing the works of God. Literally, you have this love pouring out of your heart for the city, for the people, for the people in the house and people outside the house. That's what he was saying. And he's saying, you have got a faith. In other words, he was saying, your works is faith. You know, faith is energized by love. It wasn't a it wasn't a dead works. It was something that's energized by love. And he said, y'all are patient. That's a big deal. Y'all are a patient people. You're an enduring people. You put up with a lot of stuff. I can imagine him saying, you have put up with a lot of crazy people. You put up a lot of sinners out there. They've abused you, but you have been loving and caring to them because you want them to know me. And you have fed people and they have taken advantage of you. You've given them money. They've taken your money and just forgot you and then spoke ill of you. And then he even says, and you didn't just rest on what you did yesterday like many Christians. Oh, I, serve, I used to be a servant of the Lord. I used to do all this. Well, you know, I'm 50 now. I'm going to just relax. And he said, no, y'all are doing more now than you've ever done. That was him commending this. From, if we just stopped there, that would be the best church out of all these churches, literally. Any church would want this, what he just said. Any church would want the Lord to say that to them. Any human being, any, any one of us would want the Lord to say that. Byron, you're so full of love. You got such a beautiful faith. I love how you care about poor people. I love how you give people, you'd make gifts to people constantly. I love how you sacrificially give I love all that about you, Byron. You're wonderful. And I'm like, you're so patient. And you haven't stopped. You have kept going and going and you increase it. That would be awesome for the Lord to say that, wouldn't it? Am, am I talking to anybody this morning? It would be awesome to hear that from the Lord. But then he says, nevertheless, that's a terrible word right there. I have a few things against you. I don't, oh, Lord, please don't tell me that. Listen, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Wow, that's a pretty accusation. We don't, you know, of course, there's many, like, who was Jezebel? One person, oh, it was the pastor's wife. That's why they let her get away with it. Can you imagine Becky like, okay, now we're going to teach today. My name is Jezebel, really. It's not Becky. I was tricking you all these years. <laughs> Becky slapped me down. <laughs> One time I was at work back in my uh, prior career. I was an engineer. I, got, we, I worked in this office building which you had elevators in. And on Monday morning, everybody go, you know, to get on, stand in front of the elevator. I got on this elevator with these black girls, okay? There were three or four of them. And they were talking, that girl ain't nothing but a Jezebel. I said, Jezebel? Why are y'all talking about Jezebel? Turns out they were believers. And they was just bad woman, and that's what they called them in their, in their uh, tradition. If a girl was bad, she was a Jezebel. She was stealing, trying to steal somebody's husband, that's what they told me. <laughs> She's trying to steal that guy's husband. That Jezebel, like, mm. 
I ain't messing with y'all. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious at the time. You know, they were all believers, very serious believers. Just calling some gal a Jezebel. Over the years, that's been an abused term, I think, in the church. We've called people Jezebel when they really wanting. But there is a Jezebel spirit. And, of course, many of you know that Jezebel was Ahab's wife in the Old Testament. It was a very wicked woman that uh, actually had to be killed. Uh, Elijah had to get her killed, okay, through prophecy. And she's the one who made Elijah afraid. If you, if you remember the story, Elijah got scared because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill that rascal after he took out the, all the, the prophets of Baal. That's a crazy story, isn't it? Like, he did all this, and then this woman's going to kill him, and he's scared. And he runs away. Like, go kill her, man. She can't get you. She was in charge of them. You could take her out. Well, she eventually got killed, just as the Lord said she would. And so, you know, there's this, this church had allowed this woman to come into the church and actually teach that it, sexual immorality was okay. And eating things sacrificed to idols was okay, which neither, obviously, it was, is okay. It wasn't okay to eat things sacrificed to idols in that era. That, and I'll, I'll just say something about that in a minute. But sexual morality is not okay anytime. And so you can see how deception had crept into this church. You see that? Although these people did all this amazing stuff, they lacked some discernment. Or they lacked something where they were believing a lie so much that they were indulging in this teaching that was really destroying this church. This woman was leading these people away from, right, away from the people of God. She was a false prophet. She was not a prophet of God. Okay? And she was allowed to minister in this church. And that's why he was against. And that's why he went after it so hard. So... Um, I think many times, let me just say this. Have you ever heard the statement, your strengths can be your weakness? Y'all have heard that, right? Lots of times that's the truth in everybody. Is This church had this great strength. But somewhere in their desire to love people, to care for people, to things right, to, to have justice, they allowed a lie to come in. You see what I'm saying? And, and that's what happens to all of us if we're not careful to do what we feel like God's called us to do, to be those loving, caring, serving people that we allow an actual lie to get into our minds and begin to compromise things. And little by little, it I'm sure it didn't happen in a day. And that she became, they began to really listen to what she was saying. I think that's what's happening in the body of Christ today, y'all, be honest with you. I think our, the, the world that we're living in is theirs. As Peter says, they've twisted the scriptures. And never has scriptures been so twisted in my lifetime as they are now. And it's going to lead to a lot of destruction. I can tell you that. Scriptures are being twisted for people to hear what they really want to hear. Paul warned of that. He told Timothy that people are going to get teachers to satisfy their itching ears. We had to really, let me read this little thing. Are y'all good? 
Every generation of Christians faces what to embrace in culture and what to reject. Every generation. How often are we tempted to go along with what society is serving us just to fit in? And that's what was happening with them. She was teaching them, you can fit in society. You can fit into these trade guilds, and you can make a good living. The problem was, if you fit into the trade guilds, you were going to have to worship their way. And part of their worship was these banquets to these demons. And she was teaching these people, oh, it's okay to do that. You don't have to worry about it. You can fit in. You can make a lot of money, give money to the church, and God will be happy with you. That's what was really happening. Well, we have the same thing today, don't we? We're not worried about bake sales for idols, but <laughs> what what does our job what our jobs pressure us to affirm, or what are, does our inter- entertainment involve? See, we, there's this pressure on us to affirm something, to go along with something from from cold, and we're in the midst of trying to decide what can we go along with. And where do we draw the line? And that's where they messed up. They couldn't figure out where that line was. The line became a blur and they stepped over the line. Uh, Political expectations. See, all those are pressures now. You've got to line up one way or the other way politically. You're being pressured. Well, if you're a real believer, this is how you should be politically. You can't be a believer and believe this other stuff. Y'all, it's the same thing. That's the cultural pressure. That's not Holy Spirit pressure. If you hear somebody say that, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the other side. I'm just going to tell you that, and I find it to be very distasteful. The cravings for popularity. The distaste for being different. That's what I was hitting on about revival. It makes you different than other churches. So we had to ask ourselves, what is it today, well, listen to this, y'all, that makes sin look normal and righteousness strange? You've got to ask about in your life, what is it that makes sin look normal in your life and makes righteousness look strange in your life? That's where those people went wrong. They couldn't discern it no more. Suddenly, it was normal to eat the bad stuff. It was normal to have sex outside your marriage. Or a marriage. That was normal. And following Christ and, and, and not doing those things, that's abnormal. Is this kind of challenging feeling? I don't know, man. Here's one of the things that we're suffering with is technology. Technology connects us with voices from lots of places. Lots of places. And we don't really, lots of times, really understand those voices. Our young people don't have the emotional intelligence to hear some of those voices, but they're exposed to them. I don't think we have the emotional intelligence to hear a lot of those voices. We hear theology. We hear thoughts. Are we really equipped for that? Are we really able to hear these things that's telling us a different story, that's revising what the Bible says? It's literally happening, y'all. It's literally happening with our young people. Talk to them. That's why I have such a concern about our young people. Listen, y'all. I've been a Christian since the 70s, 
And a few people in this room have been too. But this is what I've seen in every generation, every generation since I was born again. And it was first started with my generation. I watch friends drift from the Lord. I watch friends tempted and go back into the world and reject the Lord. I've watched every, I've been in church and watched every generation. I've watched it over and over. Kids grown in the church, grown up in Christian families, they go out. Suddenly, they're Marxist. Now, that's the big thing. Eighth grade kids, eighth grade children are being told that if you don't experiment in same sex, there's something wrong with you. Eighth graders. That's what they're being told by their culture they live in. Are they ready for that? Are they ready to process that kind of thing? No. You see, what I'm saying is, is none of this is new. What we're experiencing is not new, but it's already been, that's why Jesus had to address it. Well, that sounds really encouraging, doesn't it? I'm just wanting us to see the world we live in and what, how we're being impacted and how we need to really you know, have our responses and know who we are in the Lord and know what we believe about the Lord. You know... So, are we in danger of doing the same thing that the church of Thyatira did? In the name of being loving, understanding, and seeking justice, we begin to tolerate twisted thinking and beliefs. Are we in danger of that, y'all? Now, we need to answer. You have to answer it for yourself. I've got to answer it for me. And to some levels, I have to answer it for this church. Are we willing to compromise Are we willing to do that and tolerate things that are intolerable for the sake? It's like a guy telling me, Byron, you can never, you can never minister to homosexuals because she was never, never one of empathy. I was like, that's bull. I was a sinner, though. And I know what it is to be a sinner. I know what it is to be a broken person so I can reach people who are broken. I don't have to do everything they did. I'm not going to go out and be a homosexual just to, to minister to homosexuals. That's insanity. Right? You know, so we, we can, we can, we got something to give people, but we can't become them and giving it to them. It's like I've had many a friend that had alcohol problems before they got saved. They get saved, their heart's desire is to go back to the bars because they love and want to help get those people out. They want them out. They want to get them out. It's like, don't do it. That, you can't do that because you, you'll be too tempted you'll get back in there and you'll want to do it again. You don't need, let somebody else who don't, you know, who don't even like to drink alcohol at all, they hate alcohol, let them go do it. Are y'all, am I, you know, I want us to, I want us to be empathetic. I want us to love people. I want us to reach people. But I don't want us to ever compromise the Lord himself. I want us, our first allegiance is always to him. And if he says that's wrong, then we say that's wrong. We will, never, we will not go over there. And we have to be set in that. We have to be solid in that. And I think we can be. Oh, Lord help. Why did I ever do this? <laughs> How do, listen, I got to finish this. How does Jesus deal with the sin? Listen to this. The sin of tolerance. Tolerance is a beautiful thing. It really is. We're called to tolerate a lot of things. But there comes a day when tolerance becomes sin. It became a sin here. They were tolerating Jezebel. 
they were tolerating a false prophet, which was, was destroying people. Well, this is what it says. That's what he said. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immoralities, and she did not repent. I gave her time. Listen, it goes back to those brass boots. He did not rush to judgment with her. Jesus confronted Jezebel probably over and over and over. He didn't rush to judgment. He gave space. Y'all might be mad at me if y'all know some things I've done in this church with people who have fallen. Like, well, I'm not rushing to judge you. If you're repenting, and I can see you're repenting, I can see a change in your life, I'm willing to keep going with you on it. And I did a lot of times. I got burned a couple times because it wasn't true repentance. But the Lord always wants us to be patient about this kind of stuff. He does not want us to rush the judgment of anybody, any group, anything. That's what he did. And see, so when it comes to repentance, we need to see the fruit there. There's a fruit that comes with a person who, or a group or a teaching, all that that's going in their wrong direction. You know, I think we have to hold and, and be, be patient and, and wait on the Lord. So if he gives that, we had to give it. Second, he really does bring justice. And the Lord has a justice. Now, it's not like the world's justice for sure. But he said, indeed, listen, this is crazy. This is embarrassing almost, right? It could be if you, you know, like, God, why did you do that and put it in the Bible? Why didn't you just do it in anybody? You, you actually did. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Does that kind of blow some of your theology about the Lord? It could. It was, what happened to the gospel Jesus who was so loving and caring? Now you're going to make this person get sick. Well, it doesn't say he made her get sick. He's just going to let her get sick. Uh, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Wow, this is getting serious, man. I can't explain you, Lord. <laughs> That's the way when I, was, when I first read it. Like, oh, Lord, help. Unless they repent of their deeds. Listen, this, it gets worse. This thing gets worse. I will kill her children. Wow, that's Jesus talking, y'all. Can we explain this Jesus to the world? If you don't repent, he's going to kill your kids. <laughs> this is crazy. It was very early on when I was a Christian reading that, like, oh, I'm skipping that one. No, I don't get that one, you know, but I will tell you, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit. I will kill her children with death. Well, okay, <laughs> that means something, actually. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and heart, and I will give to each one according to your works. He said. So, so how do we reconcile these terrible words here with a loving, graceful Jesus? Right? That's the question, Lord. You've got to explain this to me because I might have to tell somebody that God is good, God is love, but I can't explain that. Please explain it to me. Well, here's what it means. Jezebel means this. It means there is, there is no prince or unhusband. She is the one who says, I have no king and no husband. I have no king and no husband. Jezebel thus represents the idol of independent, faithless living. It's a mindset that agrees with Satan that I will be like God. See, she wasn't just a stumbling Christian or a stumbling person in the world, she was actually evil. 
She was part of what the devil was doing, and that's why he went after it so hard. He doesn't go after normal Christians like this or just people who are struggling in their life with sin, right? He doesn't, y'all. He doesn't do that. Nowhere in the Bible does he, but he will go after demonic stuff. He will go after stuff that the devil's involved in. He will go after it head on, and if a person's being used by the devil, he will confront that person. He will go after that person to literally save that person. Now, that's really the truth. She was, actually, act, she was actively seducing the people of God and turning them away from the Lord. This is pretty serious, right? She was a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's why he was going after her. And what does it mean to be cast on a sickbed? Here's a thought. Those who reject the grace and love of God, as this woman did, will suffer consequences. Y'all, every one of us in this room, we will suffer consequences when we reject his love and his grace. There's a consequence of life. There's a consequences to our choices. If we make bad choices, it's, it's going to hurt us. It's not God hurting us. It's us hurting ourselves. The saying is you make your choices and your choices make you. It's a really true saying. Uh, they reap, these people will reap what they sow. Do you want to reap what you sow? Instead, listen, you don't. You don't want to reap what you sow, no matter how good you are. They will reap what they sow instead of reaping what Christ has sown. When we reject his grace, when we reject his love, we take ourselves and put ourselves outside of what he has given us. His love, his concern, his, all these things that he has for us. And we are suddenly open to reaping what we've sown, which is not going to be good. It's going to be bad. And for her, it was real bad. So there's these consequences. God wants to bless us, but if we reject his blessings, it's like we open a door for a curse to come into our life. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be loved. He wants us to be careful. But when we reject those, like she did, given the chance to repent, it opens a door on your life that you may not be able to close except for a miracle for bad things to happen. Now, this is the truth, y'all. I'm not lying to you. This is, this is re the real truth of the matter. So, <clears throat> this is real happy, isn't it? Y'all seem so happy. I wanted to finish with this, because I meant, yeah, I can finish this right here. It says, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Interesting statement, Right? In fact, the book of Revelation is a book about rewards. You know, it's a book about the devil. The devil shows up more in Revelation than does anywhere else in the Bible. I'm serious. He's all over the book. And he's a defeated foe at this point, you know, because he's after the cross. But he's still active, and he's exposed in the book of Revelation. But Jesus... It also talks, he talks a lot about rewards. Every one of these churches, there's these rewards. And it's like, what's this reward thing? Lord, what's the deal about rewards? You know? Well, let me read this one scripture just so you'll see. I like this, Revelations 22, 12. This is at the end. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and, and my reward is with me to give to everyone, listen, according to his works. Okay, listen. This is not talking about the works of salvation. 
This is not talking about the works of making God like you. Now, you hear what I'm saying. That is not what these works are about. They have nothing to do with that. You see, when we, are, when we come into Christ, we gain Christ's inheritance. We gain a great reward. We have a birthright. All of that is given to us in Christ. Are y'all in agreement with that? This is important. But as sons and daughters, God expects us to work in his kingdom. That's what he's talking about here. He, there's, there's works that he's called us to do. Not to earn anything. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old, went to Jerusalem, more than likely had his bar mitzvah? Yeah. More than likely had a bar mitzvah. What does the bar mitzvah mean? These Jewish people can tell you. It means you're a man now. You're a man. What does he do? Oh, I'm a man now. I'm going to be about my father's business. Are y'all getting this? That was the first thing he did in response to becoming a man. He wasn't earning anything. He just knew that as a son, he was supposed to be a man, and a man works. And he works with his dad. That's how things worked in that time. In his mind, his dad was God. And that's why he said to his mom, like, hey, mom, didn't you know? I got to be about my father's business. I've been bar mitzvah. I'm a man now. Are y'all getting this? The point is, is all of us have a work to do. And Jesus rewards us according to us doing the work. And that's what he said over and over in this book. That you're supposed to be doing something with you. You're a son. That's the people who do the work in the kingdom now. It's my sons. And that's really the truth. And I feel like the Lord really wants us all to rise up and do his work. And what, it's what I was sharing earlier about in my own life. If I told you, if I assigned that work to you, then you do it. And don't you worry about it if you're good enough or somebody's better than you or you feel, you feel dumb about it. Just do it. Let, let God use you to do his work. Let him use you. Ask him what it is and then do what you need to do to prepare or to whatever it takes. Well, y'all got quiet on me. Was this, this, this wasn't harsh, was it? No, I don't think it was. It was full of grace and truth. Amen. <laughs> I'm believing that. I am no Jezebel, so I ain't worried about getting thrown under a sick bed. Neither are you. Neither are you. But don't be influenced by Jezebel thinking. Don't be influenced by stuff that twists the Word of God. Stick to the Word of God. And if you don't know, just stick to what you do know. I think the allegiance to Jesus is, is the thing for me. Lord, I don't want to dishonor you. I want, I want to stick with you. And if I'm wrong, Lord, you can show me. You'll send you know, people to, to show me. Amen? Why don't we just stand up and we'll just end. And Lord, have mercy. Yeah. Well, I was saying to the Lord this week, I wish I'd have never done these books from Revelation. This ain't the kind of stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> now, this is important stuff, y'all. God is preparing a bride. He's preparing a bride. He's preparing a family. How many people in this room are part of the family of God? Raise your hand. 
I'll just say, I'm, I'm at the table. I don't have to work to get to the table. I'm at the table. But I'm hearing some stuff at the table. Like Isaiah heard some stuff when he was at the table up there in heaven. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah 6. He heard this little voice. He was at the table. He was seeing everything. He heard a voice. And what did the voice say? Who's going to go for us? Who's going to go for us? That was a conversation between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at the table. And Isaiah stupidly. (laughs) Hey, I'll go. Send me. Okay. He says he's going. If you read on the rest of the chapter, you know what? About halfway down, Isaiah said, why do I ever do this? I'm literally, I mean, he didn't say it. That's how, if you read it, that's what he's really saying. Why the heck did I ever do this? Nobody's listening. Nobody's paying attention. But he heard a voice at the table. I want you to just take a moment today. I pray that all of us would really, first, if you don't know you're at that table, you've got to know that. You've got to know that you are accepted at that table. Not only accepted, you belong there. And that your chair at the table is yours and nobody can have it. You have been invited, one of the greatest invitations ever, to sit with the Trinity at the table and hear their conversations. And part of what you're going to hear is something like Isaiah heard. Like, hey, I got this thought. This this poor guy down the road. You know, and it's nasty. It's nasty. It's pitiful. But I need somebody to go in there and touch that man. Touch his sores. It's hard to do. But those are the kind of conversations that go on with the Trinity all the time. So I just ask you today. <clears throat> Yeah, the king really is alive, Lord. We would just pray that somehow that we would hear you, Lord, that we would hear what you're saying to us, Lord. And even though we may feel not qualified or not good enough or foolish, that somehow we'd respond to what we're hearing. I just pray for everybody in this room. They would begin to hear things they've never heard before. At the table of the Lord, at the table of Jesus, at the table of the Holy Spirit, at the table of the Father, you begin to hear, and that you would act on that, little or big. Lord, I just pray that and ask you for that today in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask you for a download today for people. Hearing ears. If you feel like you need a hearing ear this morning, your ears need to be here to say, put your hand on your ear and say, hearing ear. I receive. Here and here, I receive. Receive the ability to hear like I've never heard before. Thank you, Lord. Here's something new. Something new. Something fresh. Yeah, amen. We could have a couple of people to come up here and pray for anybody who would like prayer. We want to always give you a chance to receive. And Thank you for coming.